Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Today we are going to be talking about the future of maritime shipping. Our guest is Timothy Kosulich. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. Thank you, Lisa. Great to be here. Uh, Timothy's joining us from uh, Genoa, Italy. He has spent a lot of time also in Singapore, which is one of the leading shipping capitals in the world. And he is currently running the one of the large business units of his family's seventh generation uh, shipping company, which is called Fratelli Kosovic Group. Uh, it's a very diversified company at this point. I'll let Tim talk about some of the, the businesses you're in, but mostly it's, you know, maritime shipping um, uh, for over 160 years. And I want to get into kind of where things are, but the business unit you're running today, Tim, is the marine fuel, and it's called LNZ, which I had to get understanding on, which is liquefied natural gas business unit. So we're going to talk a lot about the changes in the industry that you've seen, but I want to ground people first. You know, obviously, um, in in what is maritime shipping? Kind of talk us through what it is and the value chain a little bit. Yes, sure. So, uh, in shipping, let's say in the shipping world, you have uh, about sixty thousand ships. Uh, we're talking about the the large ships transporting uh, whether it's containers or uh, um, oil or uh, cargo. Uh, and and these ships they uh, represent or they uh, transport roughly eighty percent of of the goods worldwide. So it's a big chunk of uh, of the goods being transported worldwide. But they also represent a big chunk of emissions uh, uh, in terms of the transportation industry, but also uh, in terms of other industries as well. So uh, we have a, an issue as uh, as an industry, but in, in general as society. Uh, in how can we continue to have this industry to, to function and, and to basically deliver and transport goods uh, from one side of the planet to the other, while at the same time uh, preserving uh, the planet and not having uh, the same impact that we are having uh, at the moment. So it's a it's a big challenge uh, because I, uh, of course, maybe I'm, I'm biased, but I do think that the, the shipping industry adds a lot of value uh, to, to society. Uh, but I also think that it's important for, for our industry to take concrete steps towards decarbonization. Consider that shipping is uh, historically a, a very um, uh, change-resistant industry. Uh, a lot of traditional companies like ourselves uh, that like to do things they, they've been doing uh, for 160 years, they don't like change. And uh, sometimes we deny the needs uh, for, for change. So I think um, the, the, the step, the shift, the mindset shift that we, we need to, to make as an industry is precisely to focus on uh, the, the next 10, 20, 30 years. Well, that's a great setup for the future of maritime shipping. I mean, you've had, you also, in addition to being currently CEO of this business unit, being in the family business, you know, that operates out of 25 countries. I mean, I think shipping in general, we, we many of us who have ever lived in a port city or on the coast see these huge cargo ships. And even if you haven't, maybe on the Great Lakes in the U.S., for instance, uh, on major rivers, if you're in Panama and the canal, I mean, there are lots of places where people average people come across these images of shipping. 
But I don't think that any of us kind of realize that maybe 80%, as you just said, of the world's goods are transported this way. And the complexity of that value chain, because there are certain countries that build ships, there are certain countries that they that you fly the flag under, there are rules and regulations of every country. So in the U.S., for instance, within 10 miles, I believe it is, you have to have a U.S. captain board the ship. It's called a pilot and bring that ship into port. There are all sorts of rules and regulations around international shipping that are both at a federal level, at maybe a state or regional level, plus, of course, the international uh, waters treaties. I mean, the complexity of this, plus accounting for 80% of the world's goods transport, plus, as you talked about and set up so eloquently, the decarbonization or reduction of fossil fuel emissions standards that need to be met going forward. What are some of, you know, kind of biggest risks to the industry right now, and especially maybe coming out of COVID, which I think really shed light on some of the supply chain issues? Yes, for sure. So I think I, w- I would start with um, not only uh, one of the risks, but also the complexities, let's say, that the industry uh, faces. One of the issues with, uh, with shipping and logistics in general is how uh, interconnected uh, the industry is. So uh, take um, decarbonization, for example. Um, it's not only about uh, what fuel uh, the industry will will use, what what fuel ships will will use in future, but it's also about is there the infrastructure for uh, for for ships to be able to get that fuel everywhere in the world? Because if you have a ship, you want to make sure that you can get that you know fuel for your ship, regardless of, of where where the the ship is. Number one, number two is enforcement. Who's going to do the enforcement? What if you are a bad person, you want to continue to pollute the world, uh, even if rules uh, say otherwise. So who is going to check and who is going to enforce and, and what the punishment will be if you, if you don't respect the rules? Um, the other part is availability of, uh, of the product. And maybe we'll talk about it a bit later, but uh, depending on what fuel uh, will, will be the future of the shipping industry, there is an issue with availability of, uh, of products uh, because the, the clean fuels are not uh, currently uh, available uh, at uh, at scale. Um, so it's a it's, it's a matter of infrastructure. It's a matter of enforcement. It's a matter of regulation. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier about um, uh, federal laws, national laws, international laws. Uh, the International Maritime Organization, uh, the IMO, is the uh, the body, the international body that regulates uh, the shipping industry. But it is. Uh, sometimes uh, a bit of a, a, a toothless uh, or toothless organization because uh, it's very hard for them to, uh, to again, to, to regulate and enforce uh, rules, uh, particularly since uh, uh, countries and flag states, they have a, a big role and, and the same goes for port authorities around the world. So it's a, uh, uh, the, the complexity of the shipping industry is uh, very uh, correlated with uh, how interconnected the, the industry is. It's, it's kind of amazing when you when you mention the interconnections, because I find one of the most interesting things for me in business. And of course, we went to INSEAD together, um, both in France and Singapore uh, a, a number of years ago now. And that's how we met. But the interconnectedness of business in general became really apparent during COVID. I think to even the average person who doesn't have an MBA or works in the international shipping industry um, and running their family's company of seven generations, I, I think what's really Uh, compelling about what you just said is that interconnectivity. There is another interconnectivity I think that we should talk about, which is, of course, during COVID, this became really clear. 
But at the same time that the globalization of our global economy has been pushing forward for the last, you know, I want to say 50 plus years, but especially accelerated over the last 20, let's say, COVID brought it to a head. And now you have this pushback on globalization. And also because of obviously climate change concerns that maybe we should be producing and manufacturing local. How much of a concern for the shipping industry as you, you know, you were, you were the past president of uh, YPO, the Young Presidents Association organization in, in Singapore. Um, you sit uh, on other boards as well. And I want to talk about one of those boards in a minute. But Tim, you you have a lot of exposure to what is happening at a global level. What do you think the kind of pushback on globalization, the 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 pending wars? I mean, obviously, grain shipments out of the Ukraine and 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 fuel shipments out of Russia. I mean, there is a lot to be said about the role of geopolitics. Um, how how is this impacting the industry? What's the industry thinking towards the future of this? Yeah, no, indeed, and, and you're perfectly right. I think that in the, in the past uh, twenty to thirty years, there's been uh, a push towards offshoring, uh, so uh, focusing production in in certain countries uh, because of uh, cost reasons or. Um, ease of production, whatever it was, or um, availability of resources. Uh, and now we have an opposite trend almost uh, of a, a reshoring uh, of, uh, of production. And also uh, another movement that you know we were focusing on, uh, on just in time, uh, and we are moving towards a just in case uh, <laughs> approach, right? So it's a... Uh, uh, Explain the difference for people who don't have an MBA. Well, okay. Uh, with with just in time, uh, the idea is that you try and, and minimize your inventory, uh, so that because inventory is a cost. If I if, if I need spare parts or whatever, I keep them in uh, in my warehouse. But of course, they are immobilized there, and and it's value that is stuck in my inventory, and uh, and and I can and on my balance sheet, and on my balance sheet, and it takes me a bit longer to to monetize it. Uh, so if I can minimize that inventory, obviously I will uh, I will have a saving. However, the problem is that I can do that only if I can make sure that whenever I get I need certain spare parts, for example, I can get them. Uh, and this is uh, you know uh, very much alike uh, the concept of uh, ordering something on uh, on Amazon and expecting to to get it the next day. Uh, if suddenly you order something on Amazon instead of getting it the next day, you get it next month. Uh, then you, you have a problem, particularly if you have a production cycle to, uh, to, 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 you know, to, to function and, and to function in an efficient way. So uh, the, the movement towards adjusting case is precisely, okay, I, I, I saw during COVID that there was uh, a problem with, uh, with supply chain because there were delays everywhere. Uh, so now I'm actually going to have a, a good level of inventory just in case. Um, so that, that was uh, the... I, I like that. But there's, yes. there's a little bit of just, I don't mean to cut you off or change the subject a little bit, but the just in case seems to me from the research I did in preparation for this, that actually because the supply chain was so disrupted during COVID, the shipping supply chain, that we brought more capacity on. And now one of the lagging effects of all of these changes, it seems, is actually excess capacity in the shipping world and that more coming online is is that accurate and how yeah, but do you see that playing out absolutely and, and that is uh, for sure unfortunately it's, it's one of the very common dynamics within the shipping industry that uh you order a ship today and and you will get it in two years so in reality what you're doing is you're betting in a way we make an educated guess on on how the market will be in two years time 
So it's a, uh, it's a challenge indeed. And that goes back to what you were uh, mentioning before about uh, the impact of COVID. What we've seen with the supply chain uh, and all the issues that we've seen with the supply chain during COVID is not only something that happened because of COVID. Uh, there's, there's part of it that, of course, is strictly related to COVID, but part of it is also something that has been building up over, over the years. You have the, the container, uh, container ship market that is dominated by, let's say, eight to 10 companies. These eight to 10 companies in the last 20 to 30 years, they've been doing okay, but they've, they've not been printing money, let's say. Uh, so particularly during times in which volumes maybe were not particularly high, they uh, understandably decided to reduce capacity. Uh, so uh, scrapping some of the, uh, the older vessels uh, and, and so reducing their, their cost base. Then, so you have reduction in the in the capacity. You have an industry that is uh, dominated by a, a smaller number of players, and then suddenly you have COVID, with people who start buying like crazy online. They they want to renovate their home. They want to have a home office. They 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 cannot travel. So instead of spending on travel and bars and restaurants, they spend on uh, online to buy stuff, and so volumes go up. And the, the capacity is there, it's not there. You cannot increase your capacity from one day to the other. So then the rates, they shoot up and, uh, and, and they go to incredible levels. To that, you add uh, all the issues uh, on the shore side, because you had the shortage in many countries, including the US. You had a shortage of truck drivers, for example. Um, and uh, so then you also had a, an issue with the relocation of empty containers. Because before it was quite efficient, you move uh, one container here, and then when it's empty, you move it there. But now with COVID, you had container being stuck in one place, and you need empty containers in another place. Uh, at the same time, you have all the issues with uh, this ship can enter this port, but it cannot enter that port because the regulations, the COVID regulations require certain certificates and so on. So if you add everything together, then you understand why there was this huge mess and, uh, and, and rates that were five or six times what they normally are. Uh, and now, as you correctly say, then you, you have a little bit of the opposite trend because uh, some ship owners, they, they, they were uh, intrigued uh, by, uh, by the, the high rates. Uh, and they said, <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's order a lot of ships. It looks like a fantastic deal. Uh, and, uh, and, and then as, as often happens, you have now a little bit of that. But I, I wouldn't say that now, I think shipping is uh, the industry in general is in a healthy uh, in a healthy um, situation right now. Uh, so you um, companies they, they they made definitely good returns, good money in the past uh, two three years. Uh, their balance sheets are quite solid. So even if now you see a bit of a, a low on the rate side, I think the industry is uh, is healthy and can invest in decarbonizing. So I want to talk about that because that's obviously your passion. It's where you're at. I am this this podcast talks a lot about various aspects of impact, sustainability, social issues through the lens of whatever the subject is. So I want to focus on that for a minute. I mean, in addition to your role, in addition to also Tim being an Ironman champion, which is just completely mental to me, but that's a whole different thing. That's your hobby. Um, you are also chair of the board of the IBIA, which stands for the International Bunker Industry Association. Now, I had to look up what bunkering is. Yeah. I want to give you a chance to talk about 
how what you do at Fratelli Cosolid Group, as well as as chair of that, as well as, you know, just kind of with an eye towards the future of the maritime shipping world, decarbonization, new laws. I mean, I think as of January of this year, we had uh, the Maritime Organization's Carbon Intensity Indicator, um, which is now this new kind of uh, measurement throughout the industry. Talk to us a little bit or a lot of bit about um, what's happening in the future right now and towards the future of decarbonization, um, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, let's say the bad news is that right now, not much is happening in terms of uh, right now, there isn't much decarbonization going on right now. Uh, however, the, the good news is that since uh, I would say a couple of years ago, uh, you finally see companies investing money in decarbonizing the industry. Uh, until two or three years ago, that was the only topic at any shipping conference you would go to, but talking was the only thing that the industry was doing. Uh, everybody was talking about decarbonizing, but nobody was really spending money on it. Now, finally, since two or three years ago, you have ship owners ordering ships that are uh, more uh, uh, environmentally friendly, let's say, because they, they use uh, more environmentally friendly uh, fuel. And uh, you have suppliers and traders like like ourselves um, who also focus on that, investing on on that process. Um, it's it's hard uh, to say exactly how the future will look like. What um, at the moment, let's say, uh, the most likely scenario is that you have a number of fuels uh, being being used, and a number of fuels such as uh, LNG, uh, liquefied natural gas. Uh, ammonia, uh, methanol, and then maybe in, in the more distant future, hydrogen. Um, reason why uh, it's likely that there will be a mix of these fuels um, is that uh, each fuel right now uh, presents some issues, uh, but also in terms of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of availability of the product, um, right now you wouldn't have enough of any of these fuels to satisfy the demands of, uh, of the entire shipping industry. Also because consider that right now shipping is using uh, fuel oil, which is uh, arguably the, the, the dirtiest type of fuel uh, that you could potentially use, um, which is a fuel that no other industry uses. So basically there's no competition for this type of fuel. Um, suddenly if shipping wants to use some cleaner fuel, then they have to compete with uh, with other industries for clean fuel. So they will have to compete with uh, agriculture, with uh, uh, aviation, uh, car transportation, whatever it is, but they will have to uh, to, to compete. So then again, uh, transporting your uh, iPhone from uh, place A to place B will probably cost a lot more. And, and again, your, your iPhone will, will be a lot more expensive than it already is. Uh, so it's a... Uh, um, I think it's it has it's something that has an impact on uh, on not only on the shipping industry but on on our society in uh, in general. So with uh, uh, with regard to IBIA, the, the National Bunker Industry Association. So bunker uh, is the technical term for fuel, uh, the fuel that is used in the shipping industry. Uh, and and the, the goal of the organization is basically uh, to uh, help members uh, with. Uh, um, knowledge uh, for the industry, and so right now, obviously, uh, future fuels and, uh, and and decarbonization is one of the key aspects that we are focusing on. But then it's also providing that platform for members uh, within the industry to connect, exchange ideas, discuss, 
uh, and do business as well, obviously. Uh, so this is um, the, the focus of the industry. Fratelli Kozovic, as, as a company, uh, we, we are focusing on pretty much all these uh, uh, future fuels. Uh, so we, we have uh, recently, just a few days ago, uh, there was the launch of our uh, first LNG uh, vessel in, uh, in China. Um, so that's, uh, that was, thank you, that was a, a big achievement uh, for us. Um, we are focusing also on ammonia. Uh, methanol will will come next, so we we are really uh, dedicating resources to to this topic because we think it's uh, it's our responsibility. It's amazing because and and I'm watching time, so where I'm going to move us a little bit quickly. But what's amazing about all that there the the knock on effects or the externalities, as we again say in business, are so major. I mean, transporting ammonia, for instance, which you know is is very dangerous. So there are again coming back to regulations. And then training of, of teams, which are often, you know, multinationals on board one vessel. I mean, there is so much complexity to this industry. There is also, I mean, some of the, the things that I read that, you know, I want to just touch on. I mean, obviously, we hear about piracy, right? I mean, there was a moment, especially like, you know, going around like the the the, the Cape of Good Hope and things like this, that there were real pri- piracy issues. I mean, in the Middle East, everywhere else. I mean, not only. Um but there's also cybersecurity issues. I mean, I just read it, well, again, in preparation, there's the number one industry most targeted now by cyber criminals and ransomware because it is so important to the movement of the global economy. Um, then there are things like, you know, whales and, and, and dolphins watching up on shore in, 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 you know, in New Jersey, and they think it's because of the sonar of, of the ships. What are yeah. some of the other things as we look five to 10 years out that given your deep experience and expertise, you think are going to be issues that positively and or negatively or just generally affect the industry? Yes. So um, I think on the positive side is this understanding that companies uh, need to focus more on uh, stakeholders rather than shareholders. Uh, so the, the role that companies play in, uh, in our industry is not only to, to generate profit for, for shareholders, but it's really to, to, to make sure that all stakeholders uh, have uh, have a say and uh, and are taken uh, into consideration. Uh, so I think that is uh, one thing. And you see, you mentioned the uh, uh, the CII, uh, the Carbon Intensity Index, uh, is is one of the uh, one of the aspects. Uh, there is um, a lot of talk in the industry, not only uh, for shipping but for other industries as well, about carbon taxes, right? So. Uh, that is uh, a way in which governments could uh, already uh, affect change because it's also about what, what you can actually do. Uh, right now you have uh, at sea, you have about uh, 60,000 ships that burn fuel oil. You cannot sink them from one day to the other, right? So, uh, and each ship has a, roughly a useful life of 20 years, let's say 20 to 25 years. So some of these ships are very old, so potentially you could scrap them. Some are not old, some are relatively new. So it's not realistic to expect that, okay, starting from tomorrow, we are going to only go to zero emissions. And, uh, and so it's, it's also about being pragmatic. And, and, uh, and this is also why we've invested in LNG. So LNG is still fossil fuel. Uh, so it's not perfect and it's not the solution. It will not be the, the, the end game, but it's the only, um, solution that is available at scale right now, which is why we decided to invest it because we think that it's important to do something now. 
uh, LNG is much better in terms of emissions than the, the fuel currently used. So we, we think that it's uh, the solution for a transition. Then the next step will be ammonia, then it will be methanol and, and hydrogen and so on. But so in the meantime, we, we need to continue to develop new solutions. Uh, but we, we also need to act now and, and do what, uh, what we can do. At the same time, I think I'm going to, to one of the, uh, let's say, more negative, if you will, is also um, uh, trying to find, identify uh, greenwashing, right? Because uh, that is one of the risks that, that we have. Uh, where we, we publicize things uh, as, as green when in reality they're, they're, they're not green. Um, now, mm, you have, for example, uh, carbon credits, uh, which are not bad. In its, it's, it's not a bad thing in itself because uh, basically you're buying, uh, you're investing, let's say, in a project uh, to, to save the polar bears, uh, which is great. There's nothing wrong with saving the polar bears, but that shouldn't then justify the fact that you are polluting a lot and that you could do something about it. Yes. Uh, so I think it's also about uh, finding a balance uh, and being realistic, but at the same time being action-oriented and, and take real steps towards decarbonizing, even if it's a gradual decarbonization, but being action-oriented. I, I, I love that. And being action-oriented is where we're, you know, we all need to be going on everything sustainable, but uh, Timothy Kosselich, I have to say, that's pretty amazing summary of where uh, where the, the, the maritime shipping industry is moving. I, in conclusion, I mean, you know, I always love to ask guests, you know, what is your greatest hope, like looking 20 years down the road, 2040, 2045, what's your greatest hope of where the maritime shipping industry will be? Um, so... I, uh, I, as you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about triathlon, but I'm even more passionate about my, my, my two kids. Uh, and, and what I hope, uh, is that in 20 years or 30 years that my kids, they, they, they thank me for whatever I did, uh, for, for the shipping industry. And they don't, uh, come back to me and say, dad, what did you do? Why, why did you, uh, why did you pollute so much or whatever? So, uh, that is, um. That is my hope. I, I hope that in 20, 30 years, uh, my, my kids will be uh, proud of, of whatever I did uh, to, to help. I, I don't think that on, on my own I can do anything really, but I uh, for, for the part that I played in this uh, process. Um, passing on better, better, better circumstances to the eighth generation of the Kostelli yes. Kosalic is, is a good goal, Tim. Um, thank you so, so much for joining us today on Future of XYZ. It was a very satisfying and stimulating conversation that could have gone on for a lot longer. <laughs> thank you so much. Great uh, being here with you. Um, for everyone watching and listening, thank you uh, for doing so. If you're watching, make sure that you uh, follow the podcast anywhere you get your favorite podcast, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and beyond. If you're listening, know that you can watch us on YouTube via Rhode Island PBS. So that's ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. Follow us on Instagram. Please leave us a five-star review. Uh, and thank you to our presenting partner, uh, Rhode Island PBS. It's uh, really a joy to be here every week or every other week as the case is. Uh, and Tim Kosselich, thank you again for talking about the future of maritime shipping with us. Thank you.